Hey y'all, this is Bitch 2 with a special episode of Bitches Love Sports, and I've got a few things on my mind that I want to share with y'all. So, in episode 3, Bitch 1 and I mentioned Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, and I said that I wasn't going to dive into the sociological reasons why it's significant that black women, not just women, but black women, are currently the faces of the conversation surrounding the mental health of athletes. Now, when I detoured around that topic, at best, I missed an opportunity to share a rarely discussed perspective, but looking back on it, I kind of shirked responsibility. Now, that's not to say that black women are responsible for educating others on our experiences and culture, but if a black woman has a platform, even if that platform is very new and pretty much unnoticed, and she has the ability to influence what is communicated via that platform, and she is often praised for her communication skills anyway, then why not? So here's my take on why it is so significant to see Raven Saunders, Simone Biles, and Naomi Osaka raising awareness about mental health. A few things before I jump into this. One, you might be expecting an extended monologue all about the importance of mental health. And I'm going to get to that, but there are some things that I need to explain first. Two, in reference to Black women and Black people, I may say some things that do not apply to 100% of us. Please understand that I am speaking in general terms and I am mentioning things that, from my perspective, apply to many or most of us. I can't speak for everyone and I'm not trying to. I'm just sharing a perspective. Three, you may be able to relate to some of what I say, even if you're not Black. If you can relate and what I say illuminates some of your personal experiences, great. But do not try to use my words combined with your perspective to invalidate the experiences of black women everywhere by saying things like, oh, well, this isn't just a black woman thing. We experience this thing you mentioned, too. Just keep it to yourself. Journal about it. Hell, make your own damn podcast. Just don't contaminate my message with that. For I live in America. And while I do know that there are black people in other countries Many of my references will be related to American history and culture. That's just that. With that out the way, let's get into it. Let's start with the phrase, strong black woman. It sounds like a compliment, right? And in social circles where black women use the phrase to describe each other, it is a compliment. But it's connected to the dehumanization of black women. The strong black woman archetype is characterized by the ability to be strong, independent, and mostly void of emotion, while simultaneously being responsible for the problems of others and taking care of them, and also while managing to uphold social standards of femininity. And this complicated balancing act is carried out all in the name of never appearing weak. Now, does that sound like a human being to you? The presentation of black women as flat characters in America's story is what has led to harmful stereotypes like the hypersexual and constantly objectified Jezebel, as well as the nurturing and devoted Mammy, who is so maternal and so self-sacrificing that she'll take care of all the household needs of her enslavers without a single complaint. Perpetuation of this archetype is also what has led the medical community to believe that black women do not feel pain or at best feel less pain than the more delicate and feminine white women. Some medical professionals actually still believe this to this day. 
And it's also the reason why there's such a problem with the sexualization of young black girls and them being viewed as older than their actual age. Although it began as a cultural trope, over time, some black women began to lean into this idea and adopt it as part of their identity. The emotional restraint and indestructibility associated with the strong black woman ideal became necessary for them to persevere, overcome the odds, and achieve success. Systemic racism, persistent objectification, and the constant need to change one's appearance and mannerisms in order to be considered appropriate and acceptable would be enough to drive anyone into a state of depression or anxiety. Unless, of course, you feel nothing at all, in which case you can just focus on the mission, get the job done, and keep collecting wins. And this is why, despite the public knowing relatively little about how they dealt with their personal struggles, many notable black women have been placed on a pedestal as strong black women over the years. But studies as recently as last year, 2020, have actually linked internalization of the strong black woman archetype with depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Even just this morning, I saw a post in a social media group where a black woman was praising Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles for prioritizing their mental health and she said she finally felt comfortable taking off the strong black woman cape. So yes, this idea, it is a tool, but it can be a heavy one. Now, let's talk about another phrase, black girl magic. That phrase started popping up around 2013, I believe. Now, I remember around that time, there was a lot of harsh criticism and judgment of black women's appearance, attitudes, professionalism, everything. And around that time, I believe there was also an article in Psychology Today that pretty matter-of-factly asserted that black women were the least attractive women in the world. Now, why someone would feel the need to publish something like that, I don't know. But it was out there, and people were buying into it. So... The phrase black girl magic and the associated hashtag were beginning to be used to highlight instances that refuted these attacks from the rest of society. And pretty ignorantly, some people had to question why it was necessary to point out specifically that black girls are magic instead of all girls or other girls. But the thing is, not only were other girls and women not being attacked the way black women were, but here's the thing. Black women and black girls are just different. So I'm going to speak here in terms of the majority of representatives of a given demographic. Okay, so I'm speaking in terms of what applies to most women of a race. Pretty much every other race has some feature that places them closer to whiteness than black women, whether it's hair texture, fair skin, facial features, body type, whatever. Not only that, but culturally, black women are different. Let me explain. Our social and interpersonal norms are different. They've developed differently. So in America, in past decades, there were legal and social barriers that caused our culture to develop differently than that of the dominant culture in America. And I believe that has also happened in various ways in other parts of the world, but here it happened largely through segregation. And segregation existed in various forms all the way up until the 1950s or 60s. And the laws that reinforced it weren't just laws saying that whites and blacks couldn't intermingle or couldn't get married to one another. 
a lot of these laws literally dictated where black people could live and work. There were areas of this country where free land, free, free land was offered to white people who were just willing to settle in new areas. But black people were not allowed to settle in those areas, even if they paid for that land. Shout out to Oregon. There were also areas where black people had to pay an extra tax or a bond if they decided to live there. Shout out to Ohio. So as a result of all of this, on top of the the segregation that we're more familiar with, you know, like restaurants, schools, bathrooms, etc., theaters, stuff like that, black culture developed separately and therefore differently. Um, And before you hit me with the, oh, that was a long time ago, just understand the effects were lasting. Growing up, I remember discussions and teasing and bullying over whether someone was talking white or talking black and or whether they were acting white or acting black. And even today, there are reoccurring discussions about what constitutes cultural appropriation, which means what? That there are different cultures, okay? So I say all this to say that black women stand out. We just do. When we are naturally ourselves, we stand out in ways that are a bit more pronounced than when other women do it because of the number of characteristics that set us apart. So what does this all have to do with mental health? Now I'm gonna talk about Raven Sanders because I I think she's not as well known as Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Raven Saunders is a black woman that just won silver in women's shot put representing the USA at the Olympics. But even before the Olympics, she had become very vocal and an activist regarding issues of depression and anxiety, especially in the black and LGBTQ plus communities. Now, in a recent article in the Washington Post, she reflected on watching Venus and Serena Williams play tennis when she was growing up. And she said, quote, they were young black girls with beads in their hair, unapologetic. For me as a kid, that inspired me to be myself whenever it was I got to where I wanted to be at, end quote. Now, in this article, she also talks about why she dyed her hair half green and half blue and why she wears a mask with a Joker smile on it. But this whole idea of unapologetically being yourself is so significant because basically anytime you are intentionally not yourself, when that is in response to social or professional pressure or standards, you're subconsciously reinforcing the message that there is something wrong with you. And for black women, this message gets beaten to us over and over and over again. Even though Raven has green hair, for a lot of black women, being unapologetically ourselves might mean something as simple as styling our hair with, without changing its natural texture or speaking in a manner that reflects the neighborhood of our upbringing. And this is not to knock anyone that straightens their hair or wears wigs or code switches as they please. I know a lot of people that change their hair texture, wear wigs, and do some awesome things with cosmetics, myself included. I'm not talking about self-expression through those mediums. I'm talking about instances when we use those things to shrink ourselves and blend in and be more like the other people in our schools and workplaces. In a society where things like professionalism, uh, proper communication, and dressing in accordance with the dominant culture impact one's perceived value, then any time we are pressured to change, to increase those characteristics, that's when we're sending ourselves that message that something is wrong with how we naturally are. Now, many black women have worked in places where there are actual rules against our natural hair texture. 
we've been told to change the way we speak. For some of us, we've been told to change the very pitch of our voices in order to not be perceived as threatening. Not just unpleasant, not just different, threatening. Threatening, a threat. (laughs) And this is reinforced in multiple ways. Like most of the time, it's external, like with the rules that I just mentioned against hair texture or even styles that accommodate that hair hair texture, like braids or locks. Um, And sometimes it's reinforced through biases against names that aren't white enough or American enough, or even just the experience of trying to navigate the cultures of workplaces and schools and teams that were not established with us in mind from jump. But for some of us, it was even reinforced internally from within our families, often by older family members or parents that may have suffered some loss, like a job or a friend or an opportunity because they did not comply. They did not assimilate well enough. Some of us even know someone or there was someone in our family or a friend of the family who may have lost their life over this. So that fear that is experienced generation after generation It gets taught to us and it gets reinforced by us being told by people older than us how we should wear hair, how how we should speak, how we should carry ourselves, what we should and should not do specifically in front of white people. So quick side story about this friend I have. When we were in college, she started wearing her hair curly and I thought that was pretty cool. I couldn't figure out how to get my hair to do it, but she did it. It looked great on her. And... As we've grown up, I've seen her wear other styles like wear hair wraps and and lately she's posted a few pictures of herself with the fro and like, I love it. I just love it. And when I see those pictures, because I think of her as someone who I would consider successful and who really has their shit together. And when it comes to winning as adulting is just checking off all the boxes. And I see these pictures and I'm just like, man, I hope when she's out and about in Nashville that black women and girls who see her are inspired to do the same thing. Because sometimes I wonder how differently I might have represented myself or how different I I might have styled myself had I seen more images like that when I was growing up, you know? But back on topic. For us, being willing to be ourselves, especially in traditionally white spaces like tennis, golf, and gymnastics, it's not just a matter of whether or not we're comfortable. When we decide how we're going to leave the house in the morning, we have to think about, okay, if I wear my hair's natural texture, will I miss out on a job or an opportunity? If we decide to wear our hair naturally or dress comfortably, Or if we're too tired and don't feel like making the effort to code switch, we have to wonder if I need help or aid today, will it be denied to me? Could this impact a friendship? Might I be denied love or acceptance because of this? If I end up in the presence of a law enforcement officer or some other firearm carrying member of society, could my tone or my facial expression cost me my life? So... We not only need someone to let us know that it's okay to be ourselves, we actually need examples to let us know that it's safe. And in recent years, on the biggest stages, that's what we've been watching Serena and Venus and Raven and Naomi and Simone to find out, is it safe? And their black girl magic on display gave a lot of us a boost of confidence because when we saw them, we also saw ourselves. But here's the catch. Here's that strong black woman catch. Sometimes 
we have days that we don't see ourselves in them or them in us. For so many black women, that message that who we are is not good enough gets reinforced so firmly that a new belief begins to form. And it's that belief that the only redemption for our blackness is to become successful enough or educated enough or rich or wealthy enough or pretty or strong enough to negate the reality of us being a black woman. So when there are periods of self-doubt or hesitation or fear or anxiety, it may not feel like a passing feeling to us. It may feel like evidence that what we've been taught since we were girls is true, that we're not good enough and we never will be. Because those people who we look up to, they have the success and the wealth needed to overcome the stigma, and we don't. So when Raven Saunders says she gets a lot of her strength from being unapologetically herself, and Simone Biles says she realized recently for the first time that she's more than her accomplishments, and Naomi Osaka releases a whole documentary that shows her questioning her value outside of being a good tennis player, it allows us to relate to them again. It allows us to see our own moments of doubt or depression in a different light. Instead of Black women possibly viewing these moments as signs of weakness, now we can say, okay, if a world champion can struggle with these same things and still be a world champion, then surely these doubts won't stop me from being the best that I can be in my daily life, from being the best version of myself. They don't have to stop me from chasing my dreams, from accomplishing my goals, from being dominant in my sport, or from being an activist, or being an inspiration to anybody. If they can confront these issues and still be great, then so can I. And that's why I appreciate what these women are doing. It takes a certain level of bravery to even admit these struggles out loud. They didn't know what would happen to their lives or their careers or their relationships by admitting their struggles out loud, but they were honest anyway. And I respect and appreciate that so much. Now, to address the elephant in the room, that is the stigmatization of mental health care in the black community. Yes, a lot of that has to do with distrust of the medical community in general. But from a personal perspective, I'll say this. I think it also has to do with the fact that if subconsciously you think there is something wrong with you in the ways that I described earlier, the idea of going to someone that might turn that fear into an actual diagnosis just isn't all that appealing. And that's all I really care to say about that. And maybe this is the real reason I didn't tackle this mid-episode, because uh, clearly I'm long-winded as fuck. Anyway, this was a special episode of Bitches Love Sports. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm out.